Welcome, everyone, to another week with your hosts, Mordechai Weiberger and Harav Nissen. We look forward to taking your questions and your comments. The number to call up to ask your question is 718-683-5858. That's 718-683-5858. And, of course, we look forward to taking your questions and your comments, the verbal ones, as well as Nissen. What is a cell, What is a text number? That people can text their number. Three four seven, three four seven nine two seven eight three nine eight, three four seven nine two seven eight three nine eight. Okay. And the phone call is seven one eight six eight three five eight five eight seven one eight six eight five eight six eight three fifty eight fifty eight. Excellent. So, Rabnison, there was a caller. That you said it called or a text question. What was the question we we're discussing just before the program started? Okay, so the question like this: uh, uh, basically, a father called, and uh, is 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 a, a son that is in therapy, and basically pay he paid the, the money for the for the therapy, and he want to know is right to know about the therapy, the process, and if if the therapist can give him some. Um, outside information about it and what kind of things the therapist uh, can uh, give him. For example, like uh, if we let him read a newspaper, some uh, magazine, books, all this kind of that basically involved with the Yiddishkeit and not Yiddishkeit. Yes. Fantastic question. And the, the, the... Yes. Okay. The, and I, above, above the, the 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 sun is about uh, nine. I think I understood it's about nineteen to twenty-one age, uh, years old. Okay. Actually, it's very important. So let's start with understanding the laws, with what was set up, why it was set up, and then how therapy works. And sometimes the balance, not sometimes, almost always the balance that happens. And then I'll share with you a story that happened by us in our office, probably within the last two years. I don't want to say a time, but just giving a rough idea. So let's start with the concept. The concept about therapy is that in order to help someone to delve into the places, that the issues that could be affecting them, in order for a person to trust the therapist to go there, they need to know that it's confidential. If the information is confidential, then I'll trust you. If the therapist chooses to break confidentiality, let's, oh, I'm going to speak today to the principals, I'm going to speak today to the yeshiva, then, or speak to neighbors or strangers or anyone that I see and go, oh, that guy's my client, then what happens is clients will not trust the therapist and won't open up. Why should I open up and share? Therefore, the laws are very strict, and these aren't just laws that are governing the therapy field, it's the same laws that govern the medical field, same HIPAA laws. And HIPAA laws don't just go to a therapist or a doctor to strangers, it's even doctors to the spouses and even, let's say, doctors even to the parents and children, which means that under the HIPAA law, if a spouse should want to call up information about the husband, then the, if the spouse, or let's say the wife, did not sign a paper saying, you can speak to my husband, this is by law. This is national. It's not just Brooklyn. It's not just Lakewood. It's not just 
different areas. It's not Flatbush or Borough Park. It's not just in Brooklyn or Manhattan. It's in the entire United States. This is federally mandated. And what so, about, uh, for example, Israel or just over, overboard? No, they can't tell anyone. I don't know in different countries the HIPAA laws. I don't know what's the HIPAA laws in Israel. But you cannot speak to anyone that is without the explicit written permission from the client. And age? Now, age makes a big difference. Once the person is above 18, and in some places 17 in the United States, the therapist may not say a word. If the child is under 18 or 17, it now starts depending in what areas well, you know, before we go to under the age, let's get, some, let's get to the next level. There are certain exceptions to the rules. The one exception is all over. This is the same exception that, let's say, the police can use for the same way you're not allowed to ever restrain someone, hold someone back. But if there's an immediate danger to themselves or to a danger to someone else, then there is no HIPAA law. Well, there is a law that a therapist must report it to 911 or to Hatsala. Otherwise, that therapist can't even go to jail, can't lose their license, all that, for not protecting a person. So we take special courses to teach us how to identify what's an imminent threat, an imminent danger. And if we didn't follow protocol, we're accomplices. That's the only time that a therapist is allowed to break confidentiality. And along those lines to realize, we need to know what's going on. Now, there are some exceptions. Let's say someone is a school psychologist. I'm sorry, let's go back. Why am I saying this? When therapy starts, when therapists start the process in therapy, it's their um, responsibility to tell a client, everything you say is confidential. However... If there's a danger to yourself or we're concerned for a danger for another, we are responsible to call. So there is no confidentiality to that area. And that's called informed consent, where we're informing that you understand these are the laws. Sorry, that's informing, not informed consent. That's the only time that therapists can break um, the HIPAA confidential laws. That's step one. If the kid, now, if it's a kid, I'm sorry, now let's go to the next level. If someone's in school, let's say you're seeing the school therapist. If the school therapist's policy is that they're going to share information with the rebellion, with the parents, because many times in different situations you are going to share information, then in that case, the student or the child must be informed ahead of time. And they must know that the information will get will be shared. And the places where they have this, they usually have the student just initialize their initials so they know it. This is how it works. Now, it gets complicated when you start working with couples. What about a husband and a wife? Because of this level of confidentiality, they used to do things different. When I say used to means it's still done today. But over the last 10 years, it has shifted. I personally do the new system, but a lot of the old therapists are still upset at me for doing the new system. And let's understand the old system, why it came out to be, and then we'll see how it changed today, why I really only believe in the new system from experience. So very few times where I say I disagree with the system, I personally disagree with the old system. The old system is as follows, Rupnison. Imagine 
me and my wife are having a disagreement. So we go to a marriage council. I shouldn't say chas We always have disagreements. That's healthy. That's normal. But we're talking about a major shalom bias issues. We go to the therapist, and let's say my wife shares some major secret. Now, during the marriage counseling, the marriage counselor knows that there is a fear that maybe that information will come out. Maybe the marriage counselor will now side with the husband because she knows or he knows the wife's secret that the wife really has a problem. So because of this concern that the marriage counselor isn't going to be neutral, what the process was is that you had three therapists. The husband went to his therapist, the wife went to her therapist, and then you had a third therapist, which is the marriage counselor, because you didn't want the marriage counselor to be biased to one side over the other. Now, in reality, while that sounds like a nice idea, in reality, the three therapists almost rarely spoke. And what happened was the wife's therapist takes, sticks up to the wife because she hears such a horrible stories about the husband. The, horrible, the husband's therapist is, is building him up hearing such horrible stories about the wife. And now the marriage counselor has got to start doing their work and try to balance it without knowing the weaknesses of the wife, without knowing the weaknesses of the husband, because they're not really sharing it. They're just sharing how the marriage counsel session goes, but none of the therapists are sharing the details. And what I find was happening was, A, very rarely would the therapist speak. B, if the marriage counselor doesn't know what's going on behind the scenes, it's going to be very hard for them to be an effective therapist. So what has changed about 10 years ago, and it started with a therapist, his name is Dr. John Gottman, probably one of the top 10 therapists, marriage counselors in the world. That's the level that he's got. He has the therapist to work individually with the husband and the wife and do the marriage counseling together. But he signs the paper and he commits that whatever the wife says during her sessions will not be brought up during the couple session unless she brings it up. So the therapist will treat it as confidential. And whatever the husband brings up during his sessions will remain confidential. It will not go to the wife. But this way that marriage counselor could now, when they work individually, work on the wife. Don't you see how your issue is being brought up in the marriage? Or tell the husband, don't you see how you have this issue? And that's being brought up in the marriage. So let's work individually on your issues. So this way, during the couple's work, you'll see how the marriage will improve. Doesn't that make sense, Ravnison? Yes, definitely. So, so again now, here you have a husband and a wife that is married. The therapist is doing marriage counseling, but they are not sharing private or personal information in the, from the wife's session, whatever her pains or fears or experiences, or the other way, what the husband's are. Otherwise, the spouses, otherwise they won't open up. So again, this needs to be discussed openly. Now, before we get to the father, let me share with you a story that I had in the office, and you tell me, and now you'll begin to understand the point of confidentiality. We had a teenager above, actually, she happened to have been under the age of 18. But she's came to us for two, three sessions, and she's not opening up. And we said, why? She says, I do not trust that what I tell you, you will not pass it on, not to my parents, but let's say to an aunt or an uncle. And I said, why should we pass it on? 
And she says, because I went to two other therapists, and I overheard the therapist speaking, or I saw my notes that she had written down that spoke to, let's say, aunt or uncle. I just want to know I'm changing information. So this could be a boy, and I guarantee it was not an aunt or uncle. It could have been grandparents. It could be a best friend. It could be someone else. But basically, this client would refuse to open up. And what we told this client was, let's, say, let's assume it's a girl. We told her, look, we guarantee you we'll find out who's paying for it, that they will sign a paper. They're not going to push us for information. We could share basics. We'll get to in a minute how I do work it out with parents, because it's very important, in my opinion, and in our center for parents to work along. But let's just understand why this came out. So before... I had an opportunity to call that family member. We get a call like this in the office. I am this and this person, let's say the aunt or the uncle. I am paying for the sessions. I want you to show me all the notes that you're writing. I want you to tell me what you're talking about, and I don't want you to tell my niece that I called. <laughs> this is what really happened in my office. So my answer was as follows. You don't have legal rights to see the information. Since your niece, let's say, is my client, we have an obligation to tell her that you called to speak to us, so we will tell her that. We will run it by her, and we'll set up some information. So let's assume she's talking about, let's say she, as a, a kid, what's something I say? My parent could yell. They don't want it to go right back to the parents. We're just going to process it. Parents yell, big deal. And we'll teach you how to, how to work on it. But if they're afraid, you tell the parents, and now they're going to be so upset, the teenagers will close down. So what we tell them is, and we work it out sort of saying, look, let's tell your parents we're working on family stuff. Sometimes a brother sister can get upset. Sometimes a parent can get upset. We also talk about school because we talk about various subjects, not just one thing. And we clarify that it's normal. Usually a teenager will work out with us what we could tell the parents, and the parents are happy that they could speak to us. And also we report to the teenager telling the parents we're also going to tell the teenager what we discussed. This way there's no secrets, because so far every time we've ever kept a secret, it has always come out. It's just no point in keeping secrets. These aren't our lives. I'm not talking about at work. At work, we're, we're mandated by the professional rules that happen. So it didn't end there with that teenager, with that story. So the parent tells me, absolutely not. Again, it's not a parent, but that relative saying, absolutely not. I don't want you to tell the niece that we called. I said, sorry, that's not in your right. So then I get back to the niece, and we report to the niece, listen, this is what happened. You're right. We got a call. They want us to share information. Can we share basics? I said, absolutely not said, how about we share information in front of you? I've done this several times. We're clients. Let's say they're 20 and the 30, which we're going to get to this case even. We're a family member's paying for it. They just want to know, is anything moving? What am I paying for? Is something happening? Do you need more help? What's going on? And sometimes if people don't trust what we'll say, we'll make the phone call in front of you. And what's funny is, you know what they sometimes say? Oh, but I don't want to lose my time on this. So they're like, what do you want of us? So the goal for us to understand is that confidentiality, in order to help a person is, we need the person to trust us and to open up. If you tell me the deepest secret, and you know by law you're protected, and then I break that confidentiality, that secret, and I could lose my license or you can sue me, you feel a lot more trust that you can do that. And if I do that, then you can actually 
go against me. Like, do that. So what happens now to that father, let's say, let's say it's a 19-year-old son, a 20-year-old son. He's going to the therapist. What we do is we have the, let's say, the teenager be around when we speak to the father. We have sometimes a teenager, sometimes we'll even do a session with the father and the teenager there, sometimes to work things out. We've had that several times. We're, and the fathers and even appreciate it because now they get to hear what's going on. Now let's go to or missing a little bit of the sad part. By the way, I just want to announce to everyone the number to call up to ask your question is 718-683-5858-718-683-5858. And I can see we've got a lot of messages, and we do have someone on the line. Just, I just want to finish this topic because it's an important one. Yeah, it's very wow. important. It's really something that uh, uh, to clear our, you know, the table from this uh, issue. That's right. And again, to realize that there's a healthy way to do it. So let's now go to the next step. What happens, Nebuch, when we've got people coming in 19, 20, 21, 25, 30, or 40 year old, and they're in abusive marriages or unfortunately in abusive situations? What happens if someone's coming in and the father's saying, I want to know what you're talking about, and Nebuch, this guy is abusive? On the full level of hitting, beating, locking someone into the room for a while, like real levels that are very sick. A wife Neville's got black and blue marks from the husband. I, it doesn't happen often, but it does happen in the from Kahilas. What do you do then? And the person wants to know. That's why the laws are very simple, are very straight. Whoever's the client, they need to sign a paper. If the therapist, if it's not major stuff, or if the therapist can work out with the client, almost always in our center, besides for that one teenager, I cannot remember in the last two, three years, or four years, or five years even, that we had an issue. Just to finish the story with that teenager, that teenager said, okay, can we speak to your relative with you on the phone? They said, no, we don't trust. The minute you speak to them, they're going to manipulate, they're going to do stuff, and then that family member said, well, I'm going to stop paying. And we told this teenager, look, these are your options. Either we can share something, healthy stuff, we don't have to share everything, or we have to stop working. And the teenager said, I am willing to stop working, and they didn't come back. Sure enough, we got four, five, or six months later a call again from the teenager, I want to come back. And because we remember what happened, so they had me speak to the teenager, and I just asked one simple question. Why are you willing for us to speak something to that relative? Because if not, you're going to come for three, four sessions. Now, you're still not going to trust us, wait for the phone call to come. Then the phone call is going to come because that's what this person does. And then we're going to stop. So are you allowing us to do a healthier process of working something out with that relative that's paying at the same time to give them some information? The teenager said no. So I said, okay, so then there's no point in coming back to us. And that was the end of it. Okay. So Nebuch, uh, by yes. therapist breaking the law, speaking to that relative, this teenager doesn't trust anyone, will go to therapy, but she won't open up what her real problems are. So what's the point of wasting money in therapy? Okay, the other question is basically, it's a little bit more Ashkafa. The therapist is different... Uh, I would say a different side. Let's say, let's for example, you know, a goish or a you know different different uh, a point of view, and 
the client is coming from different and is the the payer can demand from the uh, from the therapist to uh, not re- you know to not recommend it some uh, some stuff for the for the guy let's let's take that that's a beautiful question so let me share with you a concept that as I'm sharing with everyone I just went back to college now for psychology and so I'm trained I'm an LCSW I'm a clinical social worker that's one way of training and I was wondering what's the training that psychologists have so now that I'm in the training it's interesting to see how much are overlapping how many things are similar one of the most important parts, and I personally believe that the Rabbi Shalom did it as a schus to us, Claudia, so it should go easier for us, is the concept called culturally sensitive. Uh, what does that mean? Or culturally oriented. In the 1920s, if a Yid wanted to get a job, we all know everyone said, don't go to a trife in America because you can't keep Shabbos. It was true. You couldn't get a job. The entire country was at that time... You've got to work on Shabbos. What the Rabbi Shalom did, and I think it's the refuel before the Makkah, at around the 1920s is when social workers and when a lot of the Democratic Party got a lot more powerful, and they were talking about social changes, because people always go, why are you always Democrats? And what changed is that the mentality of America was that we are going to be more a country of immigrants, and instead of changing the immigrants to become Americanized, we're going to allow everyone to be who they are. So Baruch Hashem, or I should say, unfortunately, after the war, but when Yidin, from Yidin, came to America in the 1940s, America already had now 15 to 20 years of the culture of be where you're at. Don't change. We're not going to change you. Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to get jobs. So for just to understand in the history, the reason why there were Jewish hospitals called Mount Sinai, Maimonides, had Jewish names were because the Christian ones, which was, let's say, Columbia, and, and the hospitals like that would not allow a Yid, any type, even if you're not Shem Shabbos, to be a doctor. The reason why you have Golden, Golden Sachs, the, the financial institution, was because all the biggest financial institutions will not hire a Yid. Everyone runs to Florida today. Do you know in the 1920s, if you had a Jewish name, there was not a room available. No Yidin from Yidin with a Jewish name was able to get an apartment, a hotel room in Florida. That's how anti-Semitic it was. All that changed between the 1920s and the 1940s. Why am I giving this history? Because a, a tremendous amount of change and social change, whether for good or bad, happened through, a lot through this psychology of changing reforms. And the concept is that people's culture, people's community, people's beliefs, whether it's Eden or if someone working with Goyim or someone working with other religions or someone working with different immigrants, is to work with them in their world. How do you find the positive in their world? How do they manage in their world? That means that a therapist's job is to help a person within their world with what's permitted in their world and with how they can be successful with the resources that they have. Not saying that that is wrong or not saying you should read it's not based on their system. A therapist's job, and in the first classes that I'm taking in psychology, so social workers is known for this, but I didn't know psychologists have that. In the first classes that I'm taking, cultural sensitivity 
is a main focus. So this person has a right, again, but it's got to be worked out with the therapist just to make sure that they're not telling the son different concepts and hashkafas, things that aren't permissible. Okay, so, but what happened if uh, if this person, the father, found some material that uh, the son got from the from the therapist? Is is he allowed to approach the therapist, or he can approach the therapist? But the therapist's response, legal response, needs to be as follows: I cannot even acknowledge that I know your son. <laughs> That's okay. it. Okay. I had today a story, a very simple story. I met, I did an intake means, I met a wife, the husband called up, so I just transferred, had the secretary, so going through the whole thing, the front desk, just had the husband transferred to me. And the husband comes and said, listen, I cannot officially acknowledge I know your wife, but I'm sure you do, so please have your wife just call me up or make a conference that we can speak. And sure enough, that second, the wife called in and we had a conference, but I still have to stick to the legal process. So now, if this therapist has a problem with the hashkafa that kids are doing, kids reading, then this is the job of the father to have a conversation with the son and saying, I don't know what's going on. We don't approve of this. I need to speak to your therapist. Let's make a conference together or let's have a session together. And the therapist and the father, I think it's the father's, not only does he have a right, I think it's the father's obligation. It's a chiyuv. This is our kids. We need to make sure our kids are getting the right hashkafa. So similarly, there's a major problem. What happens, I'm going to share with you the difficulty, and how do you guys deal with this? Or what do you think we should deal with it? What do you think happens, Rav Nissen? Okay, I'm just reading at some of the messages that you're sending. But let's go to, um, to this question, Rav Nissen. What happens, I got this question, I should address it in the Yiddish question. What's my hashkafa, my opinion, about the 12 steps and about the 12-step fellowship. I don't want to get into the fellowship because I'm going to be addressing. But what happens when you go to 12-step groups that there are goyim there? Now, let's say someone has an addiction. Someone is a gambler. So one of the methods that's very powerful in helping along the therapy is going to groups of other gamblers that are trying to get out of it or that are out of it. And even if you're out of it a couple of years, they still go and they give chizik to other ones, or they share their difficultness at times when they want to do it, and they held themselves back. So it's group support. Most of the time, those that need it have already lost tens of thousands of dollars or a lot worse, and they've gone through a much worse state, and now they start going to the groups. Now their parents, or sometimes the spouses that could be very from, go, Hashem Yishmar, my from kid is now going to groups where there's goyim there? And who knows what they're sharing? And almost most of those groups are going to be men and women mixed. And this person, this parent, might have a right. The husband or wife might have a right. However, these steps need to be discussed with the Rav. Because unfortunately, not going to a group, losing money, brings you to a lot worse places and has brought these gamblers to a lot worse places than what happens in a group where people are looking to heal. Now again, we have our hashkafa, we have halacha, and when you're getting to mental health issues, it's just like every situation where you need to speak to a rabbi, you need to get educated. I would say the same thing to this father. Maybe the book that the therapist recommended to the son, let's take an example, this son's got an issue with anxiety, 
And there are some great books, let's say, for anxiety workbooks to work on. And now the father's looking at that. What? A workbook on anxiety and worry and fears? And sometimes you could say the word Hashem, or Hashem isn't scary, like words like that. Oh, there's now a Hashkafa, and the father needs to be updated. What happens if the father doesn't even know how severe the kid has the issues? And sometimes people that don't understand the mental health field, they go, oh, this is us, sir. No, no, no. Speak to a Rav that's competent in this field. So again, the therapist, if they're a therapist and you did research, and if the school likes who they went to, and you know they're competent, that's why I like the referral organizations, because you know that they have experience. There was one therapist I used to send to because I knew they were good, and then one of my clients gave me feedback. You know, this person had an issue with her, like brought up about Yiddishkeit. So I right away contacted Relief. I said, tell me about this therapist, and I, I know some of the people there. They told me, listen, he's a great therapist, but if he, if he could get over his issue of orthodoxy. So organizations that refer all the time, when a therapist makes a mistake or doesn't do well, it's normal that not every client's going to connect with a therapist. But at the same time, if a couple of clients complain, this person gave me heterma, told me to do behaviors that's not right, this person has issues with Yiddishkeit, this person has issues with certain chassidus, this person has an issue with the Litvish world, this person has an issue with the, with the Sephardi world, everyone can have therapists are human. And they can make mistakes, and if they don't work on their mistakes, and if it affects their professionalism, then these referral organizations generally find out about it. And then they stop referring, or they inform you. This is, if you go there, they're best in this area. They're not good in others. Yes. So I believe, yeah, no, go ahead. No, 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 that's, uh, it's 100%. Uh, I just, you know, I think that uh, many times as a parent, you know, as, as I said, with different culture, and between us, you know, you know, we have Sephardi, uh, Ashkenaz, Hasidish, Litvish, and all this. And sometimes even the the therapist doesn't know exactly which which uh, you know which side to hold about it. And many times yeah. the, the 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 books that is recommended is very innocent and appropriate, but in the eyes of the parents, it doesn't look like. Yeah. Uh, Yes, yes. So this is exactly what some of the balance that therapists need to do. So in our center, we are extremely for having connection, fathers and kids or parents and kids, husbands and wives, but we build them up to, to feel safe and to be able to trust that what you tell us is confidential and we want to get you healthy and safe enough to be able to trust each other. And that's what we do in the one-on-one -on -one session. So if the father is worried and tells the kid, then the kid would come in saying, you know, the teenager would say, my father has an issue. Even if it's a 20-year-old, my father really has an issue with his book, and he's not trusting what the therapist says. Good. Let's make a conference with your father. Let's speak to your father if he wants. Let him come down next, se next session, and let's talk about it. Okay. So yeah. we, we'll go to the listeners that we're really waiting patiently. And an hour line. So we'll go to a Miss F. Yeah. Thank you. Mrs. F? Miss. Miss F. With You're permission. With, Mordechai and Harav Nissen. with parents' permission. Oh, with the parents' permission. Hi. Thanks so much for taking my call. Sure. Um, um, I lately started listening to your program and I'm really enjoying it. So thank you very much. Yeah. 
um, I read your book and I really enjoyed it. I find myself to be like more of a wind nature. Oh, wonderful. I appreciate those. Mm -hmm. So I've got a question. Um, I've got a bad habit that is like, um, basically I've got a bad habit and I want to stop it, but it really gives me satisfaction. So whatever I've tried is like not helping me because like it doesn't give me that satisfaction. Can you, so, you, can you just share with me one more time? Just just share one more time. Just your question that you just asked. Thanks. Yeah, basically, I've got a bad habit. Like, um, okay, I can tell you, I peel the skin behind my ear if you're, like, really interested. Okay. And, <laughs> no, because, like, okay, whatever, and it doesn't look so nice, and it doesn't feel so nice, and, like, whatever. Um, so, like, what, it really gives me such, like, it gives me right, a good so feeling. So we call like, those sometimes like a nor nervous twitch, or we call, like not a twitch. A twitch is not has a twitch, but let's it's say not, a it's nervous not reaction under tense, or it's a behavior that you picked yourself. You you've taught yourself a behavior. So it's that's sometimes what we learn is we learn behaviors how to change that, like do a different behavior. So the classical trick that I always share whenever people call up the radio, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But it works for many, and usually in therapy we use it. But usually you need other tools to help along. But that's the concept that every time, let's say, you want to peel the ear, you just, let's say, squeeze your thumb. So yeah, I tried that. You, okay. I tried that, and it, didn't, it d doesn't give me that satisfaction. Right, so that's generally, again, not saying you need therapy, but when people need to start breaking a behavior, either, you, let's say, you go to a Rav or you go to a Rebbitz or a teacher to help you guide, you know, guide you and work on it week after week, or sometimes where therapists get involved is we start going, is there stress going on in your life? Are there underlying issues that are causing you tension? So a classical example that, that we share is we've had many times different people ask questions on the questions and answers, and someone's going, why do the, why, when we, I come to therapy, I talk about my anxiety, and why do they talk about my parents? And the answer is very simple. Imagine someone is saying, I'm at home, and they're nervous, and then we start asking, tell me about your house, and oh, this one's yelling and screaming, or this one's always afraid every time there's a hot solid truck passing by that, oh, they, we're going to die, or whatever it should be, then what happens is we need to start changing those programs. So when you're asking how do I stop, that's what I explain. This program is an awareness-based. We can get mm -hmm. an awareness. So the awareness that we can have is if it's just behavior, you learn another behavior. You practice the behavior. If there are underlying stresses or tension, then we need to address those. Right. So I don't know what's going on, but the awareness you've just had is a great awareness for all those listening. That when we're stressed, we do act out through behaviors. One of the ways we deal with our stress, our inner pain, is by sometimes causing a little pain. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Thank, thank you. Kevin. You're welcome. And the number to call up, those that would like, is 718-683-5858. 718-683-5858. We go to Miss Y. Miss Y. Hi. You're on with Mordechai and Harav Nissen. Hi. Um, I'm the girl that called in a week ago. First, I wanted to tell you thank you so much because your boost actually helped me go through whatever I want to ask you right now. And however, listen, I really appreciate your and everything. I really enjoy the entire program. I wanted to ask you. Thank you. So when you called up last week, first remind us, what was your question when you called up last week or a couple of weeks ago? Um, I was basically asking if, 
So someone was basically testing me by telling me that they're angry at me and waiting for my call. Really, they told ah, me. Ah, yes, I remember that one. Yes, that was a great question. Thanks. So <laughs> we, I feel like I'm giving like a series, a weekly series on the... With um, pleasure. With pleasure. <laughs> I feel so um, many teenagers will benefit or even adults will, will benefit from this. I hope so. Uh, my question is more of if if I have if it's a I want to know if someone if she's testing me or it's I just don't have a good way of explaining myself. If I feel like I'm so right, then I'm I'm wondering if there's something more to it. What basically happened is I I I can't say what's true and what's not because I don't know what other people tell me is true or not. But the story that went on was that I got invited to this girl for Shabbos in the afternoon, um, before that, knowing that she warned me if I can please not repeat to another girl that we both know, that we're both good with, not from the same place, we just know the same kid, if I can please not share with her that I'm meeting her. I don't feel, I felt there was more like an ulterior motive behind it, but I just said, okay, until it came to that girl, ask me if I'm going to this friend on Shabbos, and I said, I'm not going to start arguments or fights. I'm going to be honest. I just, I, I went back to the first kid, and I said, I'm very sorry. I made a mistake by telling you that I'm not going to repeat. But if you don't want to say something, then you don't, and I'm going to go repeat that I'm coming to you on Shabbos. It's not something that's a fight or anything. And I went and I told the girl, yeah, I'm going over to this friend, friend A and friend B. Friend A is the girl that got upset at me that I asked that last time. Yes. And friend B is the girl that she doesn't want her to know. So I told friend B that, yes, I'm going over to her on Shabbos. Not a problem. Enjoy your Shabbos. Have a good weekend. I got a few minutes later, it was an hour before Shabbos, I got a phone call from friend A. How dare you? You're, you're having Jewish feelings. On and on and on and on. That it doesn't matter to me that you just got bashed down to no end from this friend B by saying that she only likes me and only inviting me and what's going on over here. I said, so friend B told you that friend A called her up and told her that how bad that that she shouldn't take away her friend? No, I'll repeat myself. Friend A is the girl that was upset at me. That's right. Friend A is the unhealthy one from the way we're describing it. Right? right. And she told you do not tell anyone that you're coming and then friend B asked you, so you told friend A, Look, I can't I'm not keeping secrets what I'm doing on Shabbos, so that's what I'm gonna be doing. Right. And I repeated to friend B, I'm heading over to her. And friend B called up friend A. Let me just give like a little hagdama so cool. Uh, friend B is not either so fully uh, healthy with herself, um, strong with herself. Yeah. Um, and she, friend A called me back telling me that B was yelling at her, that she doesn't care for her, she only likes me and what's going on here. I said, I feel very bad, but I don't think it was in my hands. It has nothing to do with me. You work on your own. No, I'll tell you why, because the issue is you. The reason why we're in, um, in a fight with me is because of you. I said, I'll prove to you how it's not me. The reason how it's not me is because I didn't know about it. Otherwise, people would communicate with me and tell me. No, no, it's called a favor. I asked you for a favor and asked to say something, and you don't want to listen to me. You don't have a heart. You don't want a, a whole thing. It's not a favor is when someone's holding heavy bags and you want them to help you out. It's not something that has an ulterior motive behind it. And so she starts trying a new trick, a new tactic. 
Can we stop? Let's stop. Let's hold on. Let's stop. Now watch what I'm going to show you about health because this is already too much unhealthiness for me to listen to already. (laughs) So let's do things a little bit healthy. I have an interesting concept of this, and do you ever have this sometimes where people tell you, I want to tell you a secret you can't tell anyone. And usually what I tell them is let me first know the subject because I don't know if I want to keep the secret. I hope you might have learned from this example that when friend A tells you, come here, please do this, but don't tell anyone, then the answer is already no. I don't play those games. If you need me to keep a secret, not tell anyone, I don't do that. So you start leading with health, what health is, healthy. If something sounds unhealthy, even though there's no reason, you just say no, because somehow they're going to find a way to get it. So what's interesting is I have people who love talking to me, tell me something, they go, oh, but now you can't tell anyone. I go, no, 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 no. That you can't tell anyone happens before we start the conversation, not after. Because sometimes they can tell me this and this happened, and this, they're talking to me randomly. They go, oh, this is, by the way, your client. But you can't tell them I told you. I said, no, 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 you have no confidentiality rules with you. You told me something about this and this person. I will tell them that so-and-so has told me this. So you need to understand what health is. So I hope you and those listening, when people start going, I want to tell you a secret, don't tell anyone this. The minute it starts with that, you already know it's sick unless there's a very good reason why to keep privacy, but then you want to know ahead of time what it is that you're going to be keeping which subject. Do you see how complicated it gets with unhealthy people? Whatever you do, or almost anything you do, you're going to be attacked for. Right, but let's say there is something um, to keep back. Why? Why? I mean, to say not on my part, on my part. Uh, Let's say if... It's not always healthy. I have to know when to when I want to tell someone where I'm going and when I I don't have to always be the one saying where I'm going. It's your choice, not hers. Right, Watch right. This. That's my point. So if so, right. right. But it's your choice. So let's start this. So when someone starts telling you, I'm going to tell you something, but you can't tell anyone. If someone tells that to me, it's I first need to know what subject it's about. I don't know if I can keep to that. And then they tell me the subject. You know something? This is such a heavy subject. I don't want to keep that in me. I don't want to hear it. Don't. I do that many times, especially okay, people think that as a therapist, I hear everything. When it's in a professional setting, where I get paid, where there's, it changes the entire dynamic of if it's on my free time, schmoozing with friends, and then they want to do something. No, no, I don't want to do that. Sometimes people want to tell me, let me tell you what's going on in my family. I go, no, I don't want to do that. You're going to change our friendship. I don't want to change our friendship relationship. So understand, when people start, I want to tell you a secret. I want to tell you something you can't tell anyone. Come here, but don't tell anyone. You need to think, and these are for anyone listening, you want to consider, do you want to walk around with that? Do you want to feel trapped? Usually when someone tells that to you is they have someone in particular that you know who they usually don't want you to tell. Now you're going to be stuck between friend A and friend B, and you're C. Now you're stuck. Do you want to carry that stuckness? Right, you're right. No, of course not. That's why I went and I called right away and I said, I, I'm sorry, I made a mistake by saying yes. <laughs> this was just not the right thing. That's right. But now she still yelled at you. So now what would happen if it would go, now that you learned, and for everyone listening, the dangers of the word secret. So if someone tells you, can you come to me for Shabbos the or come for Shabbos, when but don't tell anyone, what would your response be now? This Again, is for everyone sorry. listening. 
what would your response? Someone tells you, you know, come to me for Shabbos, but don't tell anyone. What would you reply then? Why the secrets? I can't come. I... The word secrets don't go well with me. I don't like that. If you'd like me to come, I can tell anyone that I choose. If you don't want me to tell, then, I, then I'm not committing to come. That's health. Mm-hmm. Rav Nissan, what right. do you say to this? It's the healthy way to just avoid and just sit, continue, you know, try to to move forward. It's nothing uh, you can do. You know, people that uh, manipulate, it's tough to play with them. Yeah. So had you cut and off with them? I don't, I, no, I don't, cut, I don't no, like there's no cut at off. I think, I no, think you, you don't I cut. I think Rav Nissan said cut off. But... I'm saying, I'm saying that you, in the minute you just tell him that, you know, first of all, I'm sorry, I'm not a liar. I cannot say it, you know. If you come to me in Shabbat and I, I, everybody will see they're coming to me, I cannot hide it. And, you know, things that you just try to avoid this kind of uh, being a, a secret friend that uh, telling you stuff and later all the neighbors knows it and you are, you are in the middle. Right. So basically, my question is more broader. This is just like getting stuck up on the thing because, let's face facts, this is not the only issue and it will not be the only issue coming up. My question is more is all these things that are happening, whether it's telling me all these kind of things or cornering me into things, it's a way of testing me or it's just a way that I don't know how to give over clearly what my mindset is. Ferguson? Yeah. I just when I was in the in that line. Okay, so go ahead. So ask your question again. I was wondering if if all these things happening with such an unhealthy kid is she testing me all the time, or is it just me not knowing this how to show her? That? This is someone that's in pain needs to keep secrets, needs to feel that whatever you say isn't good. Wants things exactly that way. She might be afraid that friend B is going to take you away, and that's why she wants you all to herself. She wants you to be there and no other friends to share you with. And that's a way of keeping you there. With with uh, those are unhealthy sayings like "come to me and only you" and "don't tell anyone." A healthy way of saying is a healthy way of saying is you know I really appreciate your company. I don't like it when other people come because then I feel i got to share with you. Or in school you have so many friends, but I want a little time with you. Can you please come to my house and not bring anyone? Or if you do tell someone that you're coming, please tell them not to come for this hour or two hours. Now it's your choice. It's not a secret. Oh, you told someone. Now they attack you. They have unhealthy behaviors. Their social skills, their communication skills are in an unhealthy, controlling way. Controlling, right. That's what it is. But it's because they're in pain. What kind of pain is she in if she's so busy having it all wrapped around her finger? That's pain. pain. People that, that people that have others wrapped around the finger do it from pain. Do you think a healthy person needs to have everyone controlled? Do you think a healthy person really wants to yell at you if you just told someone? By you telling B, this person A is in so much pain that now someone knows or someone attacked them. Why are you controlling? Why are you taking away my friend? They just got hurt. Uh, I, right. That wouldn't happen because there's no such a thing as discussing. If there's a three-way friendship, I'm not talking about we don't get together all three together. There's no discussing me 
I don't discuss with A about B, and I don't discuss with B about A. Because it's, it's just not healthy. That's right. That wouldn't happen. But there's obviously that the two unhealthy ones are trying to get their fingers over me. I know that, and I sense that. But why should that? So they're, they're not even both testing me. I just want to know one of them is just testing me, the first one. Don't try to understand other people. Try to understand you. <laughs> That's right. That's what I'm trying to get to. They're in pain. They're missing a lot of healthy skills. And the important point is for you to recognize and for everyone listening, that's why I'm spending so much time with it, is that when it goes this word secrets, no, don't tell anyone, only come here, only my friend, don't talk to that, they're unhealthy. And the responses are, what? What would the response be? But that's be? not even the thing. That's not even the thing because the, the, the secret was just a tiny, tiny, tiny time that she said it like once or twice. She doesn't stop on that. Could be it's a whole story, a whole thing about so people. So being that secrets, you shared last week here. and this week, I'm starting to think that you're not getting it. Yes. I'm really not. I, could, I can't understand such complex people. That's right, okay, but so understand, you say you can't understand them, but yet you just shared you have friend A and friend B, very similar, and yet you're hanging around them. So now my question to you is, why are you hanging around these people? I don't hang around these people. I don't have them as friends. And if I, if I deal with them or I meet with them, it's either professionally in a way to help them. And you have, a great, you have a great weapon. It's called Lashon Ara book, you know, and you tell the just, you know, I don't want to hear Lashon Ara. And finish. Hey, so let me ask you, do you have friends that are healthy, that are just easy to schmooze with, easy to meet on Shabbos and to go around? I'm not telling you to disconnect from A and B. I'm telling you to connect more to D, E, and F. Oh, I have a million of those. Then I, when I have, I'm spent time, and that's why I'm so hooked up with these, because it's bothering me so much that I'm, I'm not understanding something. I always have such a grand time. I never argue with my friends. The most I argue with them is if it's blue or red, and then the argument is over two minutes later. We have so much fun with all my friends. It's just these Excellent. two, and it has so to be all my other friends. So what happens if you now start telling A and B, do you know, let's just say, could you please hang around? You start going, do you realize that when I hang around with you, it ends up costing, causing me pain? The cost. You get upset. There are these words. It's a very hard, our relationship. Right, right. So what I liked about last week is that you said it very well. Um, when you said shifting responsibilities, and that's yeah. when our conversation basically ended, when I told her that I see that she's shifting responsibilities. When I confronted her, I told her, I don't know why I'm getting so stuck up with you and I never had these arguments. And I said, she said it's because of B's fault. I said, no, you're shifting responsibilities. It's something to do with her. And that's where it ended. Like, we didn't continue after that. That's right. So the same is happening again. That she's asking you questions that's not correct. For an example, I just spoke to someone recently, and they told me, you know, someone asked me openly, like, how much is something costing? And I told them, you don't tell me how much it costs you. Why are you asking me? And there was a third person around. The third person was, why are you giving such a, such a defensive, like, really an offensive response? Just tell them. <laughs> if somebody asking me how much it's... Asking something personal, and B, when the person's finally protecting themselves, B is now attacking them. Why don't you just tell them? 
I'm very open. I'm a very, not blonde, but I'm very, very open. I, that's why it gives me such healthy friends, just because we're all open, and I, I love attracting such Baruch kids, Hashem. because we really have a good time. But I, that's my question. That's good specifically about this kid, because I don't have this at all with anyone else. Yeah, so we so got a beautiful message of Nesson posted that someone said over here. Just like we warn children that if a stranger tells them to keep a secret, it means that the person is dangerous. We also try to teach our children not to keep secrets from parents and from adults they trust. So too it's with people who aren't mentally healthy. If they want you to keep a secret, it's not a good thing. And I happen to agree with this person. Yeah, definitely. A hundred percent. I also agree. I'll bring out a stronger point on this one. Even is oh, that it's not even my question. If anyone would like to ask a question, they can still call up. Oh, we do also. Have oh, we we have we after. have wait quite a few callers right now on the phone. Line. Okay, so then let's just finish. So thank you, and I appreciate it. And just you can go ahead, give your comment, and then we will go to um, mm. to the next one. Yeah, Miss A. Okay. Oh. Thanks for got my answer. Thank you very much. Excellent. So appreciative. It is a great, great, great awareness that you're able to help with your question, a fantastic question. We'll go to okay. Miss A. Miss A. Hi, you're on with Mordechai and Harav Nissen. Yeah, hi. Yes, welcome. Oh. Yeah, thank you so much for your show. I look forward every single week, and I'm enjoying it very much. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Um, a few years ago, I went through a very difficult time. Um, I was suffering from more than one disorder at once. Um, I was getting a lot of help, and... Baruch Hashem, after a while, I was able to get myself to a really good place. Now, wow. my, my problem, my question is that even though a few years have passed already and I'm no longer in therapy and my life is, like, really good, like, I keep thinking back and I keep thinking, like, why did it have to happen? And I feel like, like, why wasn't I strong enough? I cannot let it happen. I got, think of it, like, most part of the day. Okay. That was a sentence now. Do you have a question? Yeah. Like, I want to know, like, can I let go, like, on my own, or do I need, like, to go back to therapy? Let me ask you that question. How many times have you tried to let go on your own already? Um, well, I haven't really, like, really. I, I want okay, to. Okay, then but... try it. I think you can answer that question. It's like, do I like, you're asking me a question, do I like coffee? Try it. <laughs> you taste it. You like well, it. Well, I Good. did try. You did try. And were you successful? I wasn't. Okay, so now what's your question? I think you just gave yourself the answer. What's your answer? No, but is this normal? Like, is this how people feel after going to No, something? no, 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 stop, stop. Don't, now you're, you're changing your question. Let's stay one focus at a time. I'm going to ask you the next question. First, let's first answer this question. So if you know, your question was, do I need to go to therapy if I'm thinking about that dark time a lot and it's taking up most of my day? And your question was, do I need to go to therapy to help it or could I heal it on my own? So I told you, go ahead, try it. Then you said, oh, I tried it. It doesn't work. So let me ask you, why would you ask that question? Um, which one, the first question, if I need to go back Yeah, there? why would you ask a question if you know the answer? Now, my real question is, I want to know if this is a normal reaction after a person going through something. Absolutely not. No? 
No. Someone went through something. They went to. Let me ask you: the last time, did you ever have strep recently in the last couple of years? Did you go to a doctor in the last couple of years? Yeah. Yeah. Do you think about it all the time? Oh yeah, I had to go to the doctor. Oh yeah, I needed to take medication for that. No, um, this is something that. No, no. Let me let me do the question. So now let me ask you a question. You went to a therapist. You got better. Why are you hesitant to go back? Um, I'll tell you the truth. Like, this was a few years ago, and it wasn't always, like, the beginning, like, the first, like, year, I wasn't thinking so much about it. Like, only it started. Like, That's after not year. my question. My question isn't, is it getting worse? That wasn't my question. My question is very simple. You know there's a way you can get better. You had several diagnoses. You got better. So why shouldn't you want to go back? I'm shifting the question on to you. And I wonder if you're going to come to a certain realization. I'm trying to get you somewhere. So I'm going to shift the question. I'm going to repeat the question again. You had several, di- several diagnoses. You got yourself together through therapy out of them. And now it seems like you might need therapy, a little help for something, and you're hesitant to go. And my question is why? Um. Can I offer some, oper- some suggestions? Yeah. Is it possible when you went originally to therapy you didn't want to go? And you only went because it was so painful and you couldn't wait to get rid of it? Well, in the See, beginning... In the beginning, I didn't want to go, but then I went, and I was glad I did. Okay. Is it possible that you didn't finish the jobs? You did like 80% of the job, and you left when there still was more to be done? Just asking. Um, Well, the first year after after we stopped, um, I didn't have this. Like, everything was really good. That's not what I asked. You know, you hear, notice what I'm asking and what you're asking are very different. I'm asking as a clinician. It means just because someone's symptoms get better, but we still know there are some issues that wasn't dealt with, and the client can say, no, I don't want to finish the job. No, the reason why I went to therapy, like the problem I had then, that was fixed. This is like a total different thing. I'm asking underlying causes. We're, I'm asking one subject, you're asking another. Like we're having two different conversations. You're saying I'm completely better. I like the therapist after a while, so now I'm going to ask you, if that's the case, why are you hesitant to go back? One plus one is, is equaling th- three. And I'm trying to figure out what's the component you're not sharing. Oh, no. So I let's understand thinking... it. A regular person had a difficulty, went to therapy, got better, is thrilled, Baruch Hashem. Now, if they have another problem, great, I know the therapist to go to. I'll go. I'll deal with it and get better. Your first question is, could I heal myself? Do I need to go to therapy? And then, like, it's not going to therapy, Baba. It sounds so hard. I don't understand you. I feel you're, I feel you're not sharing a component. Watch this. If you had strep throat, your throat starts hurting you, it's not getting better, you took vitamins, would you, hesitant to go, would you hesitate to go back to the doctor and just get a strep culture? No. So what's going on here? That's what I'm trying to ask you. No, the fact that I went to therapy and that I needed therapy, that's, not, that's what's bothering me. And after going for over a year or two for therapy and you still have that? Yeah. 
All I know is that the clients that come to us, after a while, they feel so good, they're proud. What the difference of a beginner client by me and a client that has experiences, all beginner's clients are so happy that we're so mocked with confidentiality, and we've got a camera in that little hole where even to see when people come in and out, that no one should bump in. And when people are really getting better in their lives, they go, I don't mind bumping into people. I tell them, I know you're okay with it, but remember, they are beginners. They're still Can I ask not. you another question? Well, no, not yet. No, if you maybe got you'll better get in therapy, if you got better, why are you still afraid? Why are you still looking at therapy as a negative position? Why don't you say the same thing? I need a strep throat. I had to go to the doctor. You said you had disorders. The first year you didn't want to go for therapy. Then you went to therapy. Then you liked it. You got better. What are, I feel you're missing something or you're not sharing no, with I want me to ask something. Another question. When someone goes through something like depression, is it the person's fault? Listen, can you help out? Yes. I, I would I would ask like this. If you have a step so you know, trip and you take the take the antibiotics, it's for ten days and you stop in the nine days, you know, could be that uh you know, it didn't finish complete all the process. Uh, that's the point. That's, right. that's the point of, of uh, view of your what that's the question that she's asking now. I, I want you to understand that you're asking this question. If someone has depression, is it their fault? That is a question that a person that usually did not go for therapy. If a person was in therapy, they know the answer. So I want to shift the question right back to you. Why don't you have the answer to that question? Or what answer do you think is the answer? Probably it's not their fault, but... Why is it probably? I wonder, what did you do at that therapy? Um, now, I'll tell you what. I had someone in my family who kept... She kept telling me and um, that I'm causing... I'm, I mean, my whole family was suffering because of it. And she kept telling me that it's my fault and I'm going to... And Hashem uh, is, like, really upset. And so afterwards, once I was much better, and like after a year, like after finishing therapy, like I came to the realization that I was, you know, I was causing everyone to suffer and could have avoided it. Ah, so this girl convinced you that you're causing everyone to suffer? Yeah. And why did you stop therapy? How would your therapist tell you you're done? Did you stop therapy or your therapist tell you to stop therapy? It doesn't sound like if you were my client and you're walking around now saying, okay, let's say I had anxiety. Now my anxiety is better. But you're still telling me, but I know I'm the cause for causing pain in my family. If you were my client, I would be telling you, you're not done yet. If you still think you're the cause, you're not done. If you don't see the positivity that you're bringing to your family, you're not done. And maybe you have caused pain then we will teach you how to heal that pain, how to take ownership over that, and how to create light. But you should feel that you're good and feel that the family is happy for you. And people make mistakes, and you can fix those mistakes. You know, Mordechai, I had in the last last week some boy, and really I just, he said, he started telling me how bad is he. He doesn't know how to read. He has a fat, and you know the boy is unbelievable boy. You know to read. You know everything is good, but somehow our surrounding just keeping pounding negative. 
You have to understand, you are good. It's not something that, you know, just for nothing, you know, just repeat yourself. I'm not the cause. I have some problems. Yes, everybody has a problem. Everyone has a problem. If you need a little bit more therapies, why not? Take advantage and try right. to do this. Someone just sent a message. Who cares whose fault it is? Don't you want to get better? So let me ask you, if you have a difficulty now, do you want to get better? Then you just go to the doctor to get better. Let's say you don't sleep well enough. Let's say you don't eat well enough, and now your immune system weakens, and now you got sick. You've got a cold. You've got a flu. You've got an infection. You've got a strep throat, whatever it should be. Who cares if it was your fault? Now you're ill. Now you go to the doctor. You get better, and the doctor will probably tell you, you got you to gotta exercise. You got to eat better. You got to sleep more. That's their job. Tell you what to do, and then you get better. Like, what's the point? I think it's different. It's no, it's not. No, it's different no. to you. It's not different at all. That's right. And I'm glad that you're bringing up your question, because the level that you are so locked that it's different and seeking help, I think so many people can hear. And when you listen to the recording of this program, you'll actually see what you sound like. You went to a therapist for a while. You got better. Now you need a little help, and oh, we don't want to go back because it's my fault. And I think okay. you are a really brave girl, and I'm telling Excellent. you, you have no, all I, the power. Not, you have all the power to get out of to this. To get better and to start having changing the view. Yes. To start seeing how special you are in the family and to see how much light you can bring. And we're talking about before about manipulating people. Sometimes people want to put down you down. Because their benefit. That's uh, right. That's don't. Let me ask you: that family member that put you down, are they positive ninety percent of the time? Probably not ninety percent, but they're not a very negative person. I give me a percentage. How often from their conversation is negative? Give me percentages: thirty percent, sixty percent, ninety percent. Forty percent. Oh. Let me ask you something: <laughs> if someone is sixty percent negative. I'm sorry, well, you said they're 40% negative. How often do they speak positive about others? About other, about others, not others. about themselves. Um. How often do they say, this person's so nice, this person's so good. Wow, you did this so well. I'm impressed. I'm so happy being around you. Not just you, well, to others. Neither. neither. She isn't very positive nor very, or very negative. Th then what are they saying? That, that doesn't make sense to me. Usually people are either positive or they're negative. I don't see neutral. The only ones neutral don't make comments. I find it very hard to believe that they gave you so many, so many negative comments, but they're neutral. It just, that's not how the world works. Either they're very positive and they're very hurt by you, so they, they picked on you, so they're 80% positive and 20% negative, or it's the other way around. I don't see 50-50s. The way you're describing how they spoke about you, I don't hear 50-50. I choose to disagree without even knowing the person. I don't mind hearing that they're 80% positive, and you might trigger them very much. That's possible, but I don't either mind hearing that they're 80% negative. No, she was watching her whole family suffer, and she couldn't take it. Uh, notice what I asked. You, you're excellent at not answering direct questions, because you won't answer the questions that will reinforce your belief. Watch my question. Is this person, what percentage 
of words that come out of their mouth about other people and two other people are positive. Give me a number. Is it 80%, 8 out of 10, they say how great people are? Or is it 6 out of 10, they say how good people are, then it's 60%? Or just 40% and the other 60% is negative? How much of their words are negative? Well, probably a little more to the negative side. Now, again, a little more. Some people, a little more is 49 to 51. And some people, a little more is 70 negative and 30 positive. So give me numbers. Okay, let's say 60%. Negative. 60%. Now, let me ask you, do you know anyone in your family that's about 80% positive? No. Okay, well, if you would, and if the person that's 80% positive tells you the whole time negative, then I would start considering it. If a person's more than half the time negative, then I wouldn't consider it, but the words go in. So I wonder now, taking it to you, how can you start changing the concept of going to therapy, understand that therapy is a place that you'll be done, not when the problem disappears, when you have a healthy, solid, happy self-esteem. By the way, I'm getting messages saying, Nebuch, this girl is so abused. Someone else sent a message. Why are you allowing yourself to be put down? You're a huge somebody. Yeah, like I feel like, like my life is ruined. I don't know. That's right. So that's what therapy is going to help you for. Let me ask you, when you finished therapy, did you feel that you're a success and you're powerful and you're great? Yeah, I did feel like that. I did. I really did, like, for a few months, and then... This whole thing like came crashing down like I Yeah, now let me ask you a question. If it starts crashing down, why wouldn't you go back to the therapist? No, I'm I've been thinking lately that I do want to go back. But it's funny, the way you called up your questions sound like you don't want to go back. Not the therapy is the problem. The problem is that I have a problem. The problem is what? The problem is that I have a problem. Oh, I got a secret to tell you. I got a problem too. Listen, do you have problems? Plenty. <laughs> Plenty. If anyone well, listening to... here, because we've got many people listening, if you don't have a problem, please send me a message. Well, no, a really big problem. Yeah. Listen, do you sometimes have really big problems? Because I've got really big problems. Believe me, we have uh, huge problems. And every day, we, we said, without problem, no life. Right. You know, you cannot, you know, you know what the difference between a live fish and dead fish? Live, live fish is swimming against the current, dead fish swimming with the current. Wow, beautiful. And I think that really, really, you, you have to stand up. And I think that a little bit help from uh, outsider and this therapist, some days, it will help you tremendously. Just pick up yourself and continue do the good job and it's really courage and courage i i really appreciate that you call yes thank you okay thank you okay so we'll okay go, we'll go to uh what do you call it? i see that miss k already okay one second so we have uh miss k how many people do we still have on uh the line? we right now oh mrs k sorry and uh we this I think that's one we lost quite a few of them. We lost a few. Good. So we'll take then this last call. Okay. Let's okay. Let's take the last one, Mrs. K. Sure. 
And we have interesting question, but okay, this is what we'll talk Father, about. Father, someone just sent me yes. a great message. Yes. When I said, if anyone doesn't okay. have a problem, she gives, someone says, I have plenty of problems ready to give away. <laughs> <laughs> Each one with his own pekalach, as you say. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> okay, hello, Miss uh, Mrs. K. Yeah, hi. hi. I wanted to thank you for your line. I just got married, and my mother-in-law actually gave me your Mazal number. Tov. And wow, since then, whenever it gets quiet you. in the house... You know, yeah. I just call in. Thank I really you. enjoy it. Thank you. Yeah, I have a question. I'm not sure if it goes under emotional health, but I guess you'll help me. Um, my question is like this, that sometimes um, I find myself, like, making lists in my mind, and the entire day I'm busy just like, okay, another three things to do, and then and then I'm good, and then another four things to do, and then I'm done. And sometimes I'm, like, wondering if maybe if I would just, like, um, I don't know if there's a different way that I could do it, that I should enjoy, like, the actual jobs that I'm doing, and I should enjoy every minute and not just look, just, like, cross off things off my list. Yes. So let's, let's take your questions, see how healthy you are, and then to learn how to balance. So you're organized. You like making lists. I love the, to relax, and I love to just... That's you know, right. um, enjoy free time. So that's right. So you will feel that you can relax once your lists are full, are are done, are filled. Yeah, and but I feel like sometimes sleep. the entire day, from like when I wake up until I go to sleep, I'm just crossing things off in my mind. Like, that's okay, right. done, done, another four things. That's right. Now, what you're going to learn is now that you're being more and more in the responsible role is that when you make lists, it's never done. Mm-hmm. So if it never is done, then you learn how to know that you've got a list of things to do. So on my list of things to do for today, I had about 20. I knocked down, let's see, I've got one, two, three, four left. So I've got, so I did 16. Besides for all the other stuff, that's just how it goes. Mm-hmm. So what helps is, A, stop keeping it in your mind, writing it down. So this way you're going to start realizing how much you did succeed, how much you did do. And B, whatever wasn't done, it's now on a paper for tomorrow. So that's what I have. I have a paper right in front of me, done for tomorrow, Merit Hashem. And it doesn't, like, how could I, even if I'm doing things and even if I'm crossing out and I'm accomplishing, it gives me a good feeling, but I still want to just have that enjoyment of, like, washing dishes or, you know, preparing for school. Um... Even if it's um, even if it's something hard that I want to get over, but I still want to enjoy it as I do it. Exactly. So since it's in your mind and you're afraid you might forget, I write it down sometimes. Notice. So notice what you're saying. I'm explaining to you that if it's in your mind, you need to carry it. So you're telling me I write it down sometimes. So the few times you write it down, it's going to be off your mind. And the 90% when you don't write it down, it's going to be on your mind. So it's very simple. Like if someone tells me I'm hungry, I don't eat. So I go, okay, so start eating. I eat once in two days. Okay, well, then when you eat, then you're full. But if you don't eat, then you're going to be hungry. All right. right? So Even understand. certain jobs, certain jobs, maybe it's a different question then, because certain jobs that I do, um, I wish I would enjoy doing them more and not like the enjoyment shouldn't be only in just getting over them. That's right, and that's what you're learning now about life. 
about responsibility. These are lessons that when you take workshops, when you start as you're bringing up this topic, and that's why I share that you'll never be done, so then you start learning how to appreciate what you did accomplish. That's why you want to write it down. That's why you want to look at the list that you did do. You want to see the lines through those accomplishments that you did. That's why when people sometimes have, let's say, they're writing it down on their smartphones, and then they just delete it, they don't actually see what they did. So when there was a while that, let's say, when I would use a smartphone, I would still put the numbers. So it would be, let's say, number 16 or 17. Even if I can't see the other 17, but I still know that now I'm up to number 17 that I did. If it's just one again, then I don't know what I accomplished. So mm-hmm. a large part of appreciating where you are and appreciating living in the moment is knowing where you are and appreciating where you are and appreciating what you did accomplish, and knowing that you never will empty everything, accomplish everything, and then you're done. Because that's a perfectionist, and perfectionists are never done. Mm-hmm. This world, you cannot finish perfect. perfect. There will always be something else that needs to get done. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, there are always the, things that I, you don't like, but you have to do it. Right. There are things that other people, I find, do enjoy. I don't I look at Look, don't, don't look at the people. Look yourself, you uh-huh. know. I don't like to do dishes, but I'll do it. <laughs> that is very simple. And it's fine if, I, if, the, if the good feeling is just like on the fact that I'm over it and not the fact that I'm actually washing them. That's not good. So I should What's just that? like work why on myself. Not good? You tell me, why is it not good to do that then? Yeah, I sometimes wonder, why don't I just enjoy the moment, I enjoy preparing for school? a whole different awareness. Let's just go with the simple stuff. What's wrong if you are only happy that I finished it? Baruch Hashem, it's done. That's my question. Then you don't have that enjoyment in life. Like, you're not enjoying the moment. That's right. You hit it on the nail. Yes, so my question was, what should I do to make things more enjoyable what as I do? work? Uh-huh. All right. I tell you what I'm doing. Let's say I wash my dishes, okay? And I look yeah. at my finger and I said, wow, I have, a, I have a palm. I can hold the dish. I can scrub it with, with my sponge. I can put soap. You know, everything, the small tiny stuff that we have. I have a soap, I have a, I have a sink, I have a water, I add water, warm water. I can feel, I can see. It's everything, every moment that you're doing something, you just realize what is involved around it and mm-hmm. you are really enjoy the moment. Uh-huh. Okay, that's a good one. I'll think about that. Yeah. So thank There's you. There's really a lot to talk about. There really is a lot to talk about. Um... You know, how to get into mindful in the moment. Let's just first start with step one. Step one is write it down, get it out of your head. And step two is start crossing them off, seeing what you're done. And step three is to know that you'll never finish lists once you write them down. Right. I am good at writing down lists and just accomplishing. But I feel like I have, like, that's my question. Like, I have so many things to do, and I'm anyways not going to finish. I might as well just, like, enjoy the jobs that I do themselves. Um, because either way, I'm not going to finish my list. Even if I do feel accomplished, that a lot does get crossed off. Good. Excellent. Great awareness for now. Next okay. step, feel free. So first write it down. Call up next week, Meritashem, and let's follow up with the next step. When you wrote it down, what changed? Then we're going to be focusing on the next area.
Okay, thank you. Sure, Hashlacha and Baruch Hashem. Thank you for your question. Fantastic. Thank you, Rabbi Mordechai. Yes. Wow. Long show. Yeah. <laughs> we, have, we have a lot of text and interesting text and a lot of uh, phone calls, but uh, we have to finish, right? Yeah, but let's just read this one message, just in case that girl is hearing. The last one yes, the last one Why I is said. she triggering me? It took me seven years of therapy to overcome that belief. I was blamed for my sister's cancer diagnosis when I was 10. I carried that belief until I was 30 years old and went for lots of therapy. I'm crying as I hear her talk. Yes. So, so true. Yes. So that's why I hope that that girl will be able to go for therapy and bring this up and not get stuck in that environment where there's blame and knocking down. This is unbelievable. You know, this so irresponsible, you know, to, 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 you know, sibling parents to blame other people. And unfortunately, we, we, we found this... Uh, all over they're not me it's him it's there and she is whatever other people not us fortunately okay yeah. it's us now that we have to finish that's right have a wonderful evening thank you and all Kalta. the best